Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Welcome to the Victorious Souls podcast today with me, your host, Danielle Burnock, that lady on the internet who loves you, connecting you to the love that heals so you can love yourself from survive to thrive. And today, my guest is Julia Fixie. And I just finished reading the beginning of her book today, and I cannot wait to get into this interview today. It is going to bless you so much. But to tell you a little bit about Julia, she's a trained, certified, and experienced health coach specializing in weight loss, mental health, and emotional eating. And a whole lot more, I want to add. She has overcome obesity personally and a lot of other things. And she can help others do the same with her joyful, practical, life-changing Bible study program. Welcome to Victoria Souls podcast today, Julia. Oh, thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. Well, before we get into all the things of your book and what you have overcome, give us a little bit of history about Julia growing up and your beginnings. Oh, yeah. Well, hi, I'm Julia Fixie, and it's great to be here. And yeah, you know, I have loved Jesus my whole life. I became a, I became a Christian when I was five years old. I asked him into my heart. And my mom said to me, do you want me to pray with you? And I said, no, I'll do it. And I did it. And it's the best decision I ever made. I love the Lord so much. And so I have been walking with him my whole life. When I was young, I loved Jesus and I also loved food. So I have a long history of having a relationship with food. I remember one time my parents picked me up from a Girl Scout camp and I was, um, throwing up in the bushes. It was brownie camp. So I was really small still because I had eaten so much, um, marshmallows. And so from a very young age, I was always eating and eating too much. And so I just loved food. So as I went through life, whether I went to camp or I went to college, you know, I found a way to eat delicious food. And over time, it became a comfort and then more of a comfort. And then as with any addiction, you know, the comfort that a certain amount gives turns out to be not enough the next time you need it. And so I needed more and more and more to get the comfort that I had originally gotten. So by the time I got to college, I, some people gained freshman 15, I gained over 50 pounds my first year of college. And then each year after that, I would try to lose weight in the summer and then go back and then go back. And so I graduated college and started the, um, you know, the diet culture rigmarole, you know, where you <laughs> run into one program, it works for a little bit, and then you try it again, and it kind of works in the third time it doesn't work, have to find another one. And so I've done every single diet I could find trying to fix my food problem. 
and nothing really worked for me. I went to, um, you know, all kinds of different programs. But anyway, I got married, moved to Los Angeles, and um, that's where I, you know, started a business. And again, just back into diet culture, trying to fit in with the people here in Los Angeles, a lot of skinny women, a lot of uh, just a very thin, healthy culture. And I really fought to be thin and healthy. And I struggled and struggled with that for many years. And um, anyway, I ended up, you know, gaining a lot of weight and really not being able to keep it off well. As you were growing up, you had lots of things that drove you to doing the eating. One of the things I remember you sharing with me is you said food was your friend. And that was a way, I think, for people to relate that maybe food has been their friend. Because what were some of the things that, that drove you to make a friend out of food? Well, yeah, that's a great question. You know, there are times of loneliness in our lives. And when we're younger, sometimes we don't have the tools, healthy tools to know how to handle loneliness. And so for high school, for example, during we had what was called activity period, which was kind of around 10 o'clock snack time. And I remember just being so shy and so afraid that people wouldn't like me that I would hide in the bathroom. And so during this time, you know, that was a food time, a snack time, I was experiencing loneliness and fear and I was hiding. And so I could then kind of make that feel a little bit better if I had a good snack. And so all of that and find a place to have a snack and those kinds of feelings can really pop up and they can be so strong. And we may not have the healthy tools to manage them. I certainly didn't. And so I would soothe myself and calm myself with food. And what started as a simple solution became a huge problem over time. Now, well, you were shy. You said that's what it was, was shy there. You told me something you had bullies that called you names. And in college, you had this roommate and she hung flowers from the ceiling. And what were some of the circumstances you were walking through that maybe our listeners can relate to? Sure, sure. You know, when I was younger at camp, a boy ran by me and called me a name. And, you know, when you're young in fifth grade, and someone calls you something like pig legs, sometimes it, you know, is like water off a duck's back. But for me being such a sensitive person and such a loving person and a person who cares about what other people think of me, that really stuck with me. And so some comments are like gum. They just kind of stick to us and it's really hard to like scrape it off of our life. And I so like that how was, you put the like gum, scrape it off. I, I imagine it being on the bottom of a shoe and you walk on it for a while and then it's got the dirt and the grime in it too. And then it dries and it's hard. And that's, that's a really beautiful picture to explain how words will stick to us because words are powerful. That bullies use words. People tend to dismiss, well, they said that we'll just get over it. Well, Maybe this person can and this person can't. That's the whole issue with trauma. Trauma is an involuntary wound that happens because you can't deal with it. It's biological, physiological. It's a whole lot of different logical parts of it that make into that. And so this word, this boy said, I have my own beliefs that 
they chase us and it's like that bully it's like that word continues to chase you when the bully is no longer there yes yes and if we and if we don't have tools i did not have the tools to heal well, children that and... don't unless they're raised specifically to do that mm-hmm. i mean children are developmenting developmenting like that word i just made that up <laughs> they're because de- it's called developmental trauma so they're still developing so they don't have that that's because they're growing we yes. shouldn't expect that from children but some people do anyways children don't have that that's they're not done yet <laughs> You know, the interesting thing about a bully is that to be able to state what a bully said about you, you have to be able to out loud say what they said about you and whether or not it's true, that statement that they said can bring shame and fear. Mm-hmm. Is that true about me? Well, now I'm sharing with someone else what they said before when they said it, it was only me who heard it. But if I have to speak that out loud, is the person that I'm telling going to think they're right? Am I sharing with other people what they said? So uh, even in sharing, we're exposing. And that's very, very scary. And um, it took me a long time to be able to say, hey, this is what, you know, people said, this is what they did. And just accept that what they said wasn't true. And that's that's the big thing. The big thing is when we hear the bullies and it leaves a mark, we believe it's true. That's one of the things my counselor said to me about the bully, why I have a different name. She said, why did you believe her? Never entered my mind to not believe her. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why. But that's the point is we believe them. That's why it leaves the gum on our shoe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, everyone has all their different background that takes them to that moment when that thing took place. You know, maybe mom yelled at you that morning and so you're a little sensitive and it's just timing. It's going to be so many, so many things. And then you were in college and you were carrying all this baggage from childhood and you had this wonderful roommate, but she had lots of boyfriends. And so tell us what you went through with in college there and what yeah. God did with you when he answered that one prayer. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a great story. So. My roommate was a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, She loved the Lord too. And she had a boyfriend and he was a, he, he really cared about her a lot. And we went to school at a school where we rode bikes. So we had bike hooks on our ceiling of our dorm room. And so he would give her a lot of flowers and that was great for her. I'm really happy for her that she had that experience, but I did not. And she would hang the flowers on the bike hooks in the ceilings and the jealousy that I felt, and that was really my issue where I was jealous and feeling insecure, uh, made me very angry that there were flowers on the ceiling. And so feeling unloved and feeling like I didn't have a boyfriend and feeling insecure and jealous. And obviously I had gained a lot of weight. You remember in my first year of college. So all of that compiled together to make me just a miserable, like, sad person on the inside and I was really fighting it and I wanted to trust Jesus so badly but I was so upset because many times and I felt this and this took a long time for me to process but I felt like it was unfair that I couldn't eat whatever I wanted still be skinny like what was 
what was it with my body that other people around me could eat, just eat. And they, they, their body did not react the way mine was. So I felt like it was unfair. At the same time, I was eating probably more than they were because I was using food to cope. And all of it sort of came together. And one night I was so upset and so jealous and so sad. And I just prayed, Lord, if you have a plan for me, if you're going to take care of me, please, God, please show me that everything's going to be okay. And um, I just admitted to him that I was so jealous and so sad and I was so insecure inside. So a few nights later, she was out with him and there was one bike hook left on our ceiling. And so I basically like was up late kind of waiting her, for her to come home. It was, we were on the second floor of the dorm. There was a stairwell, but it was an all girls floor. The doors were kind of locked. So it was, you couldn't just walk in and out in the middle of the night. So I was in my room rummaging around in a closet and I heard a knock on the door. Oh, I forgot to mention, I had prayed that please, Lord, if you're going to take care of me, if you've got this for me. I would like to fill one of those bike hooks with flowers for me. So I forgot to mention that one important part of the <laughs> prayer. Meanwhile, I didn't have a boyfriend. Like I didn't have somebody around to give me flowers. So I don't know how God was going to fix this or fulfill my request or, you know, I wasn't sure what he would do, but that was my prayer. So anyway, fast forward a few days later, middle of the night, rap, rap, rap on my dorm room door. I opened the door and there was a man standing there with a rose. And he handed it to me and he said, would you like a rose? And I said, yeah, yes, thank you. And I looked up from taking it from his hand. I looked up and the man, the younger man was gone. I ran up and down the hallway. I ran down the stairs. I was trying to find this person to who gave me this rose to say, you don't understand. You're an answer to prayer. What you've done <laughs> is an answer to prayer. And I could not find him anywhere. So I just thanked the Lord for this beautiful gift. And I hung my rose on the bike hook and I calmed down at that moment. I felt like, okay, the Lord loves me. And I just want to say that sometimes in this world with all of the things that go on and all the things that are hurting us and all the, the, the challenges and frustrations and tasks that we have throughout the day, we can really forget how much the Lord loves us. And he does. He he does love us and he shows us. And so it's okay to pray and ask the Lord to show up in our life in a tangible way so we can understand and know in our heart of hearts that he loves us. He's the good shepherd finding us the one sheep. We are a pearl of great price. I mean, we go through the Bible and learn how we are his treasure. We are his masterpiece. And it's okay to say, Lord, Lord, help me know that I am your masterpiece because I'm really struggling right now. And this life can be really hard. So we can get yeah. in those dark moments for sure. Oh, definitely. And that's correct. That's a courageous prayer to pray. Lord, show me because he does love us. And when we are lost in the pile, we can't see mm. straight. All oh we see goodness, is darkness. We're just, we're just lost in the darkness and we're lost in the pain and we're, we're flailing, mm -hmm. flailing mm -hmm. We're inwardly convulsing, maybe. I know I was doing that. That's what I called it. It's like, and we can't see straight. And during this time, I remember either it's in your book or you shared it with me last time that you wanted a boyfriend and then people were telling you that no one would ever have you. And they right. they were you know telling you you were too fat 
and people are so cruel sometimes, yet you have this amazing husband. Tell us the story of how your husband came into the story. Well, I do. I have an amazing husband. He is an incredible man of God. And so I had finished college and I was working and we were going to, I was going to meet some friends at an amusement park. It was called Great America. And so we went with a bunch of people. And one of my friends who had been uh, friends with since middle school uh, came and he brought Craig. And so Craig and I met in front of Top Gun, <laughs> the, the, the ride, and immediately we hit it Oh, excuse me. Immediately we hit it off and it was really wonderful. Uh, my brother says when we first met each other, he could see the sparks flying off us right away. So he, um, he saw me and he loved me from my heart from the very beginning. And, um, he also, you know, thinks that I'm beautiful and he loves me and he tells me all the time. So the Lord has kept his promise to me and taking care of me with a wonderful man and I'm so thankful for that. Yeah. The Lord's promises are true. He He does set our feet on solid ground and He His goodness he does and have mercy. Good plans. He does have good plans for us. And I just want to yes. pause here for our listeners because I want to circle back to something we said and something that God did. Those bullies said you would never have a man. You would never have a boyfriend. You would never get married. You would never, you would never, you would never. And that's what bullies do. They tear you down and steal your hope. But they were not right. Amen, you sister. Man, you met a man who accepted you right where you were. Amen, you were, sister. That's you know, right. Dealing with your addiction at the time, you still were obese. You had, I don't remember where you were in your journey of the up and down and back and forth on the numbers there, but that's the point is he loved you there. He loved you there. And you who are listening, you are loved right where you are. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to weigh a certain amount. You don't have to look a certain way. You have value right where you are and you are worthy of love. So I'm going to pause and Make sure you hear that and God will demonstrate it for you in ways that can be very personal to you because you're not Julia or me and I'm not Julia and all that jazz. So, but after you met Craig and you got married, then you had all these other things, more reasons to feed the food addiction problem. <laughs> you know, the whole thing with your twins and your various medical issues, share a little bit of your struggles with that, that just and how it affected you with the eating. Oh, yes. Yes. So I just want to pause and say yes to what you said, that we are worthy and God can use us and food uh, can distract us from that. And our weight can make us think, well, I can't do this or I'm not worthy to do this if we're feeling insecure. And we can step into God's plan for our life right now where we are feeling loved, valuable and worthy. So just wanted to, to agree with you on that. And say that, you know, my when my husband and I got married, he had never seen me at my goal weight. So he married me, <laughs> you know, and I had never even reached, you know, what I thought I needed to be in my head. Mm -hmm. So we um we were married for about 10 years. We, we were really good at being married and we loved it. And then when I was in high school, the Lord had told me um, after an earthquake, actually, it was the Loma Prieta earthquake. And I was at youth group. And somehow I remember um, in that moment, and it's very interesting that it stuck with me, but um, I was very clear that I was going to be an adopted, adoptive mother. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Awesome. 
Let's do it. So Craig and I married for a long time. Um, after about 10 years, we decided to put in the paperwork to adopt, uh, adopt a child. And we had prayed for twins, easy, legal, healthy, and a quick, a fast adoption. Um, we were told at our first meeting, it's probably unlikely that you'll get twins. Adoptions take usually over two You're years. You're not going to get, they're saying, you're not going to get all any of those things. Once but, again, uh... <laughs> what people say about us in our lives, uh, I mean, that's what people are saying. We need to look at what God is saying about our lives and what he has for us and believe what the Bible says about us, you know, not what other people tell us. But, you know, they, uh, people can give us their input, but... We believe the Lord for those things. So we prayed and um, about three business days after our paperwork was finalized, we had been chosen by a family who had twins who were born at home. And it was uh, so exciting. We were jumping up and down in the front of our house. Oh, she got twins. So we raced over to the hospital thinking that I was thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what a responsible birth mother. She must have had a water birth at home or something like that. Well, it was a completely different kind of experience. It was a very traumatic experience for them. They were born at 26 and a half weeks, which is very early. And um, they were born at home. So they didn't have the typical care that twins born in the hospital would have. And they had been in the NICU for about two months. So we sat in a room with a lot of people who told us when we first got there, we had social services, two surgeons, nurses, I mean, everybody, social workers, and they told us the whole story. And the bottom line was we asked, are they healthy right now? Because that's all we can ask for is what's today, right? Any of us could have any diagnosis tomorrow. Are they healthy today? Yeah, they look great. They look really healthy. And they're looking good. All right. So we had prayed. They said, go home and think about it. Everyone left the room like a flood of people, closed the doors, just Craig and I. And we said, you know, we prayed for the legal was all taken care of. We prayed for twins. We prayed for fast. I mean, three business days can't beat that. I think it was a week in total. And then um, healthy today. So yes, so we popped out of that room excited. Yes, we'd love to meet our new daughters. And so everything seemed to be going along pretty well with the exception of one thing, and that is they weren't eating. So they wouldn't take a bottle. So by the end of their term in the NICU, we came home and we began the process of rehabilitating them to be able to eat. And we had to put um, G tubes through their side into their stomach. And my husband set up this whole thing where we could feed twin babies at the same time, a gavage feeding where you pour the formula into their tummies through the tubes. And so it was going to be a long time. They also had um, projectile vomit. So we had like uh, painter's plastic on the carpet. We had vomit on the ceiling, like I think it's so interesting that they were the un, what they called the unfeedable. Is that what it was? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you it was the opposite of, of what, you know, it's like they had the opposite of what you had is what I was seeing. So it was when we brought them home and they had G tubes and we would gavage feed them, which is to pour the formula into their tummies, you know, um, we also had to train them how to eat. So the occupational therapist who came every week had us buying all kinds of yummy food to tempt them to eat. So I had 
the job of buying all the food and filling the refrigerator with whipped cream and ice cream and avocados and peanut butter and every, well, anything that we could try to have them eat and gain weight and taste. Like we wanted them to be able to taste it. So as we were trying to get them to eat, they had the opposite challenge that I had. I was eating all the food. You know, my husband wasn't even eating all the food. They weren't eating the food. I was eating the food. And so as a result of helping them with their challenge, I was faced with kind of this big, huge challenge of not being able to stop eating the food. And plus it was very stressful. So all of it just kind of came together. Yeah, that would be very stressful doing that. You have twins and you have to garbage feed them and your house is covered in plastic and they're vomiting every five seconds. And that would be very stressful. I think that's, that's what I want to point to here with you had all these reasons feeding the problem. It was, you had so much stress and stress is a trigger. You know, and so you were comforting yourself with the food through all of that. Yes, I would say that's true. And um, one interesting thing to note, and I didn't really put my finger on this or pinpoint it for a long time. And I have in the Dear Food, I Love You, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me workbook one. I think it's chapter two. It's called To All the Nachos I've Loved Before. And there's a food timeline so it's it's what's happened in your life and when um, you've gained weight or you've had changes or you've started to go binge or go up and down, what's happening in your life? And is there any similarities between these events, your emotions and your waking? Okay, so yeah. this is really interesting yeah. because for me, loneliness, as I looked at my food timeline, um, going to camp and being alone, um, going to college and being alone. And all of a sudden I am in this world. I had my husband, he's amazing, but I'm in this world isolated, you know, helping these beautiful little girls, my daughters get healthy. You know, a lot of people couldn't handle the kind of pressure we were under and they couldn't be around because RSV was going around at the time. And they were so fragile. So Mm. all of a sudden I'm alone again, like really alone. And so I needed to kind of have some comfort and company. Maybe um, food was there. It was always there. So food has been something that I've really had to examine loneliness and food in my life, Mm. how they relate and how to manage a feeling of loneliness, insufficiency, insecurity, I'm not good enough. Those kinds of feelings, when they pop up in my past, those feelings have driven me to the food. So now I say, oh my goodness, I'm entering into a lonely season. What can I do besides eat to get company, to get care, to care for myself, to keep busy? So yes, in this particular season, a lot of friends have left the building because Mm. it was just too much for them. And I understand that, you know, we do have circumstances in our life that we have to do. And it's just so hard for other people to look at that and walk through it with us. And so we have to figure out how to do it on our own in a healthy way with the Lord. Yeah. So how did you, in the midst of all of your things, you even had medical trauma, which comes later, But in the midst of all of this, you started to get an epiphany of 
what the core problem is and was kind of hard to face, but what did you identify was your particular core problem? Yes, this is interesting because I had been going to diet programs, um, diet culture programs, and I was in one program where I was meeting with a nurse every day. And one time she said, I think you're eating too much cottage cheese. And I was thinking to myself, how can a person eat too much cottage cheese? So I told her, I think I have a heart problem with food. And she said, we don't do that, but I can help you make a food list or whatever. I'm like, okay. So I had to, that was the first time that I thought maybe it's my heart because I can't follow any program well right now. And well, then, you mean your heart, like the core of who you are, not your blood pump, right? Yeah, like I just want to clarify that for our listeners. Oh, You're talking yes, about the heart, yes. the center of of who you, you are as a person, not yes. not the organ in your chest. Correct, correct. It was something in my spirit that was not right about food, and um, I needed to work that out because I couldn't follow any. I my discipline wasn't there. I was having trouble logically doing what I logically knew I needed to do. So what was wrong with me. That was kind of my thought. Mm -hmm. And so by the grace of God, I discovered a program and I, to this day, I don't remember where, how it even came into my circle of thought, but the Lord will do that. Right. And, um, it was a secular compulsive overeating addiction program. So I ended up going there and I sat outside. It was in a really, um, kind of busy part of town. And I sat outside and I didn't really want to go in. And then the song, this is where the healing begins by 10th Avenue North came on. And I took it as a sign to lock my doors and go into the, um, into the uh, room. And I went in and I started my first, um, sort of entry into dealing with food as an emotional heart spirit issue and not a physical, logical, I can fix this by thinking it through issue. Mm. And so, and I will say this, my first step into that world was not successful. I, it was, it was rough. And I had a, a sponsor who thought my problem was sugar. I really didn't think my problem was sugar. Um, you know, and it just was uncomfortable. And I did the 12 steps. And I left, I lost a little bit of weight. I was great, but it didn't really, really stick with me or stay with me. I was embarrassed at how could I be an addict? I'm a Christian, all of those kinds of thoughts. And so I had to then go through the next several years, gain all the weight back. I went to the doctor who said, I asked her for the sleeve and she said, no, I'm not going to give that to you, but you need to go to a food addiction program. No, no, I already did this. No, I did that. I don't want to do that again, please. So I figured I'd prove her wrong. She asked me to go to 30 meetings and 30 days. So I'm like, fine, I'll go to 30 meetings and 30 days. I'll sit in the back. I'll do it. And when it doesn't work, I'll come back to her and ask her to give me the sleep. So I went to my first meeting and uh, the second time around, and I felt like the revenant. I don't know if you've seen the movie where the guy fights the bear and the bear mauls him and then he staggers into town, you know, bloody and bruised. I walked in that morning feeling like I had been mauled by the bear of food. And I was going to sit in the back and there was only one person in the meeting. And she said, come on up, sit with me. I can't have a meeting alone. And that moment for me was so important 
because I realized, you know, I can't have a meeting alone either in my life with my food. I need Jesus and I need other people in my life to talk to about it and tell about it and understand that I'm not alone. A lot of people are going through the same type of stuff. The enemy gets in our head and makes us feel like we're the only one. We're so, uh, you're, you know, Julia, you're such a bad person. You know, you're the only person who's going through this. But when I speak about it, I learn, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one. And the Lord is healing other people. The Lord can, can, and is healing me. So for her to say that it triggered something in my mind. I do, do not have to do this alone. And it's better if I don't, I need a support team. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned that Lord opened your eyes to the order of things. When you would get stressed or you would get triggered by the loneliness, then you would run to food to be your friend. But he wanted you to do it differently. Mm -hmm, How did he want mm -hmm. you to do it differently? Yes, yes. So I realized in this second time around that when I had a struggle, an emotion, a hurt, I thought food would make it better. So I would go to food first for comfort and then I would pray. I had not even realized that over time when I had an emotion or a pain or a hurt or even celebrate or bored or whatever it was, I was calming, salving, celebrating first with food. And the Lord taught me that he wanted me to go to him first. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he and I would decide what I would do next. Now, this was the challenge for me with that. I knew that the Lord loved me and I knew that he would care for me and that he would help me. But I wasn't sure my little food problem was important enough. Like, does God really, really care if I eat some dino, some, if, you know, if, if I eat some chicken nuggets and, uh, brownie bites a couple after dinner, you know, is that really his concern? Doesn't he have bigger things to do in his life, mm -hmm. you know? But so that first year of the second time around in the program, I just spent asking Jesus, do you care? Do you want to help me? Can you help me? How will you help me? And that was an amazing year because I learned that absolutely he cares about my food because I was putting it before him and going to food first before him. And when I put pushed food aside as first and I put God in first place, oh my goodness, the power of the Lord, when he is first in your life, allowing him to answer the prayer, help you, encourage you, love you. Um, and the Holy Spirit jumps in with suggestions and help and encouragement and the joy of overcoming something with Jesus that we can't do if we aren't asking him and in including him in it like it's a completely different experience to include him and include him first and that's when i started to see huge recovery with my food wow yeah that's a scary thing though isn't it to make that transition from this first to putting god first because you there's a certain element of faith or trust that will you really you're really you're really going to help me if I put you there, you're not going to like drop me on my head. You're not going to make me eat lettuce for the rest of my life. You're not going to, you know, the, uh, that fear. That's a real fear that you had to deal with, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, the Lord is so good and he's real and he loves us. So I have a great story. I had been in program for about six months 
And I woke up one morning, I was having a tremendous amount of success. And all I wanted was cinnamon rolls. And before I had entered into this journey of sort of going to the Lord first, I had, I would go get cinnamon rolls after I dropped my kids off to school. So for some reason on this day, I woke up, I was willing to give it all up and have that flat of cinnamon, cinnamon rolls. And the Lord reminded me, Hey, talk to me. Let's, let's talk about it first. I'm like, I want to pray. I don't want to talk to God about it. I, I just my want cinnamon, cinnamon rolls. rolls. I don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> so then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to God first and then I'll go get my cinnamon rolls if I want to. God first and then cinnamon rolls. And so I talked to the Lord and I, I was just kind of praying about why, why did I want the cinnamon rolls? And the first thing he asked me was, would you want the cinnamon rolls without the frosting? And I was like, no, Lord, I did not want the cinnamon rolls without the frosting. And so it came to my attention in that moment that frosting might be an addictive food specifically that I struggled with and I needed to work with the Lord on. The second thing he reminded me is that, and it didn't even dawn on me, I did not connect the two. The day before I had gotten a phone call that my mom had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given one year to live. So I kind of had gone about my life and the next morning, the, the, the old connection between food and comfort just came back and I hadn't made the connection myself, although my actions were about to follow through with an old way of finding comfort. And so it was in that moment that I realized, you know, the Lord wants to comfort me in my sadness about my mom. Uh, You know, food can't do that. Food is an inanimate object. It has no power to heal, save, help, encourage, bless, nothing. It's just food. You know, something that you said there that I, it wasn't even in the book when you talked about your mom, because you said the sadness, but the thought of losing a mom, I could appreciate would trigger loneliness. Oh, what a good point. Yes. It's, I will be alone. I will not have my mother anymore. I can see that it specifically triggered, not just sadness. I think, I think that was hidden and that's what the enemy does. He will keep things hidden. And that's where we need to get courage to let the Lord bring it to light. What you did with these two questions for you, you dared to trust him. Okay. I'll talk to you first. Then I'll go get my cinnamon rolls, which see his grace and his mercy is so amazing that he lets us do that. Okay. We'll start there. We'll we'll see. I got you. (laughs) He knows us. He loves us. He He does. He wants to be with us and, and, and he will sit with us as we figure it out with him. And, um, and what does he, he gives to wisdom without, um, without upbraiding, yeah, without holding so back, without when, chiding. Without yes. Rebuking. When we ask him for wisdom, he gives that to us and without reproach in love. Right. So mm-hmm. he just loves us and he knows we're asking him for help, but that we are human and we have our struggles and we have patterns and habits that we also are working on too. So he can help us with all of that. Yeah. And we have patterns and habits. We don't even realize we have any, like, uh, <laughs> I see it coming, <laughs> but his grace and his mercy is so huge. And what is one of the tools that you got to use to help you interrupt that thing when, you know, like the cinnamon rolls, like when something happens and if you were tempted to go to food first, what was one of the things that you used, one of your tools? 
Well, I had this bear and it was a big plastic bear and it looked like this, you know, with the arms up, you know, and it was a ping pong ball game. So you could bounce the ball and then it would try to see if it could get into the bear's mouth, you know. And so I put that in the fridge. It's about the size of a milk carton. So when I opened up the refrigerator, I remember, oh, don't get attacked by the bear of food, Julia, you know, pray. The first time my husband opened the fridge and didn't know he likes <laughs> And so his thought was, Julia, you know, when we, when I first started to consider doing this program, he's like, everyone should get a bear of food. So I actually have a free printable on my website, www.onestepto-wellness.com, where you can print out a bear of food, cut it out. You can put it on your milk carton. You can have that as a reminder. I also remember one day praying to the Lord. God, whenever I look at food, I'm at a fork in the road. You know, I have to choose life or death. I have to choose you or food. You know, what? Am, how am I ever going to remember when I'm eating a plate of food that I'm at this fork in the road? And the Holy Spirit said to me, that's still small, like, you know, knowledge, the knowing that you have in your heart, right? Well, how about your fork? Can your fork remind you that you're at a fork in the road? I'm like, yes, Lord. Yes, it can. So I just have an amazing um, testimony that the Lord, when we do trust him and we go to him and we ask him to show up, he shows up and he helps us and he's very kind and loving, surprisingly kind and loving. I, I, I don't think we can quite fathom how tender he is until we have that experience and, and then why wouldn't we keep going to him, you know, keep going to him because he's just a remarkable father. Yeah. It, he's very personal. Like you have your bear in the fridge. Maybe that won't work for one of our listeners here. Maybe they think that's dumb, which that's fine. It's not theirs. It's yours. Like I was <laughs> telling you about, I have a silver bullet that God gave me. Well, maybe someone else will think that's dumb that I have that, but he gives us the thing we need. And you who are listening, whatever you need, he wants to give you what you need. And he'll carry you through. And it's not like, oh, we got here, now we're done either. Because Julie was doing all this, and then she ran into more problems. Here she gets, <laughs> she's getting on top of the food addiction. She's praying about it. She's got a bear in her fridge. She's, she, <laughs> she identifies that frosting is... Is like the devil. No, I've just made that up. Frosting is a problem. But she was identifying these things. But then she has more health issues. You, you had two hernias and went sepsis. I mean, and God carried you through that. Show us how he carried you through those things. That's three separate things he carried you through in the midst of your journey with us. Right. So amazingly after I got like down to a healthy weight which I had not been a weight that I was really happy with comfortable with cute clothes I was really very content um I woke up one day and I had um severe pains in my gut and they sent me back the the doctor kept sending me back I do some tests so for two weeks they kept sending me back and then I felt something explode in my gut and I went in and they thought I had the flu. So I sat in the emergency room for, I think it was eight hours, a long time. And by the time they figured out that I didn't have the flu, I was sepsis and I had to go into emergency surgery. And they told me that I had septic and they told me I had to go into emergency surgery and that I might not make it out alive. And so we, my husband and I, you know, we told each other, we loved each other. We said, you know, if this, you know, goodbye. And 
um, I went in and they cleaned me out and I was in the ICU for about um, three or four days. Um, and the only thing that they were able to give me to resolve the infection is a medication that I'm allergic to. And so they said, the good news is you are here um, in the ICU. It's the best place you could be. So we prayed and my body started to heal after they gave it to me, which is unbelievable. I had a lot of people praying for me. And um, when I finally was healed again, interestingly enough, about six months later, I went to an allergist to see if I was really allergic to it still. And I am. So that was a huge miracle. And um, I started to get better and I had a huge slice down from above my belly button and it was very long. And um, I had to recover from that abdominal surgery and the infection wouldn't go away. It was, it was very intense and it took a long time. And then after that, I got another hernia and after that I got another hernia. So I went through some severe health issues after I got um, healthy when it came to food and through it all. I truly believe that the Lord showed up in ways that I can't even, um, I, I talk a lot about it in my book, but I think ultimately he was bringing me to a place where I needed to ask to be prayed for, for healing. And I, and I needed to learn very important. I needed to learn to ask other people to pray for me, to ask other people to help me and to involve other people in my life, in my growth, healing, and transformational process to be more like Jesus. And it took a long time because of pride to be able to keep asking for help and keep asking for help. But I'm so glad that I did because the Lord's amazing and the family of God is so helpful when we're going to, you know, save people. And I think you've really experienced, Danielle, how there's a flip side to that but we can find and go to people who are safe and who will help us heal and grow. Yeah. And listening to the Lord to help us find that too. Cause I remember reading in your book about how you went about to ask for that prayer, how the Lord led you to do that. And then the elder walked by and you're like, I'm not doing that. And you and the Lord had this conversation back and forth. Well, if you do have him do blah, 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 blah. And then he does blah, 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 blah. You know, you're like, okay, fine. I mean, <laughs> I love that because I can relate to that. I've written about that. And I'm sure anyone who's really walking with the Lord with a real relationship, they do that. And he gets us. Like mm -hmm. the, the, that organization out there, he gets us. He he really does. And he wants to carry us through. And then you ask them for that prayer. And then what happened after you, you submitted to that and you went to that prayer and he gave you something? What did he give you? Yeah. So I had uh, the James verse about going to the elders if you're sick and asking them to pray for healing for you. I know I, I after I healed from all of these um these health issues that I had, they didn't know why that it happened. And so I really felt like I needed to be prayed for that it wouldn't happen again, because it was like a two year process of healing. And I just didn't want it to happen again. So I found uh, there was an elder at church, I asked him. And anyway, long story short, I ended up at a meeting at my pastor's house with the elders with my husband, and they were going to pray for me for healing for the illnesses that I had. As I was sitting there, the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart to ask them to pray for healing for my compulsive and emotional eating. And I did not want to do that. I wasn't, I, but I could not, 
um, I had this experience where the pressure, like to, like, it was so intense. Like I knew, I knew I had to ask them to pray for me for this. And I was so embarrassed. Well, anyway, I did end up asking and my pastor said, Julia, you know, that might be why you're really here today. We will, of course, we'll pray for you for that. So they prayed for me, James five style. And, um, I went out and that day, something felt different for me. And through that process of them praying healing for me, for my emotional eating and my compulsive overeating, I felt like the Lord had changed my vision and I didn't know how to quite describe it. And I didn't talk to anybody for a while, but it did seem like I, before I had these goggles over my eyes that um, had caused food to look differently. Like it was never enough. Like it, um, you know, that I couldn't be satisfied. And, and I, after the prayer, I saw food for what it really was nutrition and enough and too salty and too rich. These things had never even occurred to me before. So through this prayer meeting of healing, I'm so thankful for the people who prayed for me. I had been changed from the inside out and there was a mental visual connection I think you said it, Danielle, a, a, the way I perceived food dramatically changed. And so now when I look at food, I look at food differently. It's not sort of like this, uh, deform, de, what's the word I'm looking for? The perception of food is true now to what it really is. And it's a remarkable. So I'm so thankful for that healing step. And then through that, I started to think about, well, how can I help encourage others? Because it's been a long road for me. And I know that other people struggle with food as I have. And the Lord is the hero of our life, not food. So we can all remember, how can we all remember to go to the Lord to be our hero and not food and not something else? Because he's been our hero in the past and he will be our hero again. Amen. And then in the middle of all of this stuff that you're going through, all those different health issues, struggling with the addictions and, you know, your girls and your husband, you start an organization called Save the Tatas. Like, why? <laughs> why did this happen? And how did that happen? And it seems like food over here, and then Save the Tatas, like over here is like, what? Yes. Yes. So I had, um, I, I've always loved fashion. My favorite toy as a kid was fashion plates. I love fabric. And so I went to school to become a fashion designer. And as I came out, I worked for Levi's and Adidas and a bunch of major brands. And I came to a place where I wanted to start my own business. And in that, I wanted to make a difference. So whatever I did, I wanted to create a business where every sale created a contribution to help a human need. And um, my grandmother had breast cancer and I have a sense of humor that can be <laughs> sort of, you know, <laughs> crazy sometimes. So oh, your sense came... of humor is great. You were listening. <laughs> you got to get her book. It's really hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. And I love to laugh and um, a joyful heart is good medicine, right? That's yeah. what the Lord says. So I wanted to create something that was fun and, and, at the time when I started it in 2004, there were not any humorous breast cancer brands at all. And I thought, you know, we could use a little levity here. And so <laughs> I was you know, lying in bed with my husband one night. I'm like, 
I think I'm going to start a t-shirt line called Save the Tatas. And he said, huh, you just said Tatas. I'm like, I think this will work. So I've made a few t-shirts. You just said Tatas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, we started, we went down the road of figuring out how to start a t-shirt brand. And, you know, what was so lovely is the breast cancer community rallied around it first because of the joyfulness of it. And as a result, it grew and grew and grew. We were a national brand and even an international brand with lots of sponsorships. And we were able to give a lot of money to independent cancer research. And a lot of that I'm seeing now, like some of that is very exciting. What's happening with what started as a nugget, you know, seven, eight years ago is now growing into treatments. And that's thrilling to me. I'm so excited. But when we had our daughters came to us and, you know, life just sort of changed. They really became my priority. And so we wound that down after about 15 years. And, and uh, yeah, so I'm a mom and an author now. And my joy is to help women overcome food addiction so they can fully experience the love, care, and joy of the Lord. Know that they're God's masterpiece. Know it in their knower. Not let food get in the way of that. Amen. Yeah, you're a health coach. As we said at the beginning, you went through all the certifications for all of that. And there's something that you always encourage people to do. What is it you encourage them to do and why? Well, I think it's very, very important to be our own advocate. So, and this is something that I first initially experienced in say the Tatas, talking to cancer survivors, people who were going through cancer, people who had had a recent cancer diagnosis. And then I also learned this with my own experience of almost dying of sepsis, is that as much as we need doctors and we trust doctors with our care, we live in our body and we live in our mind and we hear our heart and we can tell what's going on. And if something doesn't seem right, or if a doctor doesn't seem to be addressing a need that we have, it's okay to speak up and say, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is what's really going on. And to be our own advocate. In many parts of our lives, we forget that we, to stand up for ourselves and say, yeah. hey, I need fill in the blank. Yeah, it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to stand up for yourself and stand up against an authority figure, depending on your background of how you've been raised, or in my case, the trauma that I went through, I, I didn't stand up to authority figures till I dealt that. So it takes courage to do that. So I'm thankful that you encourage women to do that, to be their own advocate, because we do, we need to do that. And for you who are listening in her book, she had two of the hernias, and one of them, they didn't find it. But she knew she had it. And because she was her own advocate, she was able to get it addressed. So if yeah, you're dealing I, with something, they're not listening to you. Don't shut up. Keep talking. Keep keep speaking up for yourself. Yes, that absolutely happened. And when I went to a doctor who found it, he's like, yep, there it is. So that was pretty amazing. So and I'd like to say that when we are our own advocate, we are not alone. Deuteronomy 31 8 says the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you he will be with you he will not fail you or forsake you do not fear or be dismayed so even though we are being our own advocate we also have the Lord by our side there's a song by Jeremy Camp called my defender 
And if you are feeling alone and like you're you're fighting on your own, that's a great song. And I, I hope that it encourages you today. Yeah, that's so true. I was thinking when you're talking about, you know, only we we live inside our bodies. There's also a scripture that says that no one knows you know, the mind of a person, except for the spirit that's within them. And no one knows the mind of the Lord, except for the spirit, the spirit of God. But he has given us the mind of Christ so that we can know what he's thinking. You know, he knows what he's thinking. We don't know what he's thinking, but we have the Holy Spirit and we will lean into that. We can know what he's thinking. Yeah. So is there anything that you want to share with our listeners before we we bring this to a close? You know, there's one thing that comes to my mind right now, and that is that we want to hold every thought captive. That's what scripture says. And so if you have thoughts that are running through your head that you may feel are making you feel lonely, ashamed, um, sad, um, insecure about yourself, I want to encourage you to write down exactly the thought that you're having on a piece of paper. And sometimes as those thoughts kind of swish around in our mind, we feel like there's a lot of things that we're thinking about ourselves, but, but oftentimes there's a few key phrases that will pop into our head regularly. And then the next step is to look at those and compare them to scripture and pray about them and ask yourself, is this thought true or is this thought a lie? Because we want to believe true things about the world and we want to believe true things about ourselves. Because once we know how valuable we are, and we know the truth that we are God's masterpiece. Those thoughts that come in and tell us something different and try to keep us from acting in a way that will bring us joy and peace and courage and bravery. Um, we got to get those negative thoughts out of there. And sometimes the best way to do that is pull them out of our head, write it down on a piece of paper, compare it to scripture, and then memorize the scripture that counteracts that and kicks those thoughts to the curb. That's yeah. what I'm thinking about right now when you ask me that question, because I think it's a constant um, struggle to pull those thoughts out and check them against scripture and then believe what's true. Amen. Amen. It's a process, but we can do it. So I want to hold up your book. I have, I can see it in the background on you. It's uh, dear food. I love you. I hate you. Don't leave me. And you have a second book. What's the name of your second book? I do. I do. So Dear Food is the first workbook and it's a Bible study program designed to help you shatter food strongholds for lasting health and joy. So this will take uh, food out of help you take food out of first place and bring God to this wonderful role of your number one father, savior and friend. Right. And we'll identify foods in this book, specific foods and specific feelings. It's really exciting and encouraging. And then the second book is Dear Food, I Love You, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. And it's a Bible study program designed to give you 10 power tools for lasting food freedoms. Because Danielle, you said an interesting thing. When we take these this food out of the way or whatever it is we're using to fill us up that isn't the Lord, there's a void, right? And mm -hmm. we need to know how to put God, constantly be putting the God back and filling that void with the Holy Spirit and then knowing what to do next. So this yeah. book gives 10 power tools by the power of the Holy Spirit to know how to keep that progress you've made and continue to experience food freedom. Amen. And then you have another book that will be coming out in the fall. So what's yes. that one? 
Yes. So that's part three. And we're going to start to talk about food together. So we're going to talk about how you know what you like to eat, you know what you want to eat, and you know what's healthy for your body. You see, some people may love avocados and think they're amazing and the best thing ever, but you might be allergic to avocados. So the avocado diet is not going to work for you. So book three is about figuring out what foods exactly work for you and your health and make you feel better and feel good about yourself. And that is very exciting. So the program is three workbooks. Each workbook is a 10-week series, and it walks you through um, the different steps of getting food freedom and also enjoying healthy foods along the way and how to know your body and know what's great for your body to eat and maintain at the same time that wonderful food freedom and peace. Is that is that also called Dear Food? I love you. I hate you. Don't leave me. So it's it's, yes. it's serious. The third it's a part. Series. Yes, that's the third part. Well, and then what, how can people connect with you? Are you on the different socials? Your website? You have websites. I will have the links in the show notes. But share for those who are listening. Oh, thank you. Yes, you can find me at www.onestepwellness.com. I also have a podcast that you can find on uh, YouTube, which goes along with the book so that you don't have to feel like, you know, you're reading the book alone. I walk you through it. There's also a video series on my website and uh, you can connect with me on social media there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today, Julia. This is just such an important topic. We all have to eat. It's one of the things people struggle with so much because you can't just stop eating. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of things that people struggle with that, you know, they could, you know, potentially, I'm not going to do that anymore. But you can't do that with food. Right. Because exactly. we need food to live. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and food is a gift from God. I mean, it's a wonderful, enjoyable thing. So how do we just keep it in its, its rightful place and, you know, have peace around food, peace and health and joy around food and living and the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today, Julie. And thank you listeners for being with us today. And remember, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victoria Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.